This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 285. So today is Sunday, October 30th, 2022. And as usual for Sundays, I am covering the news and rumor stories that caught my eye for this past week. So first of all, let's head on over to Petapixel. Photographer beautifully captures glaciers to inspire others to see them. Photographer Alex Savu captures stunning photos of glaciers as he seeks to inspire others to visit the Arctic phenomenon. Savu tells Petapixel he hopes people viewing his pictures will want to experience glacial environments themselves. Quote, while projects and initiatives focusing on the disappearing ice are very much needed and do a great job educating the public, when it comes to taking actions, people rarely do so out of fear, explains the Stockholm-based photographer. Quote, instead, by capturing the unique beauty of glaciers, this project seeks to first instill a feeling of awe that will later metamorph in, uh, metamorphose into gratitude. People who experience environmental gratitude are morally concerned and intrinsically motivated to act responsibly. And he does have some absolutely stunning images in this article, which you can find in the show notes. Sabu traveled to East Greenland and sailed along the Forbidden Coast in 2021. And in 2022, he went to West Greenland camping on the ice sheet and dog sledding and Kangaroosack Ford. Uh, fjord, I'm sorry. Quote, once off the plane and onto the boat, sailing through the fjords, the thing that strikes you the most is the silence, he says. It's better described as the presence of no sound rather than the absence of noise. Sometimes, if you're in the right spot, this silence is broken by a calving glacier only to make it heavier. Shooting photos in the Arctic is not straightforward. Savu brought with him a Sony A7 III camera with a Tavario Tessar TFE 16-35 F4, a Sony 24-105 F4, and a Sony 100-400 F4 5-56 GM. He also brought along a DJI Mavic 2 Pro with a circular polarizer. Quote, there were quite a few challenging uh, challenges photographing these places. For one, getting more interesting compositions while confined to the limited space of the boat, Savu says. Quote, one would have to be comfortable climbing on the mast, leaning on the sides while clipped in, or even getting in the water if you have the right gear. Being creative here will pay off quite substantially. Getting an image with the horizon in the right place or even a sharp image is not easy on a rocking boat, and drones are even more complicated. Quote, flying drones during sail has almost nothing to do with flying them from solid ground. While takeoff 
is relatively straightforward. Landing the drone has to be carefully timed with the speed of the drone matching the speed of the boat while simultaneously steering the drone towards you and catching it with one hand. And all of this is before the factoring in the cold that adds an extra level of difficulty. Sabu says that despite there being an indisputable evidence that glaciers are melting, it's hard to understand the speed at which they are receding without a reference to compare it to. Quote, our captain showed us some of the first routes the boat had in the same location. We were at that time mentioning that they kept the same distance from the glacier's outlet, and one could clearly see how much closer we could get this time. Sabu says he hopes his photos expand on the current disclosure, discourse of glaciers melting and hopes people will go and see the ice for themselves. He adds, Dr. Uh, Sir David Attenborough says no one will protect what they don't care about and no one will care about what they have never experienced. More of Sabu's work can be found on his website, Instagram and Facebook, which you can find those links in this article in the show notes. And my hat's off to him. This is a very, very cold and treacherous climate to be doing photography and drone photography, videography in. And he has gotten some absolutely stunning images with his project on these glaciers. And, uh, and I hope he does help to raise more awareness to these glaciers and the fact that they are receding over time. Webb takes new chilling image of the pillars of creation. It's not just Hubble that's getting into the Halloween spirit. The James Webb Space Telescope team has released a new mid-infrared photo of the pillars of creation, a view that strikes a chilling tone. The photo released today by the Webb team shows how different a photo of a celestial object can look depending on the wavelength of light the camera taking the photo is set to capture. Earlier this month, Webb captured the pillars of creation using its near-infrared camera, NIR cam, and was able to create a breathtaking 122-megapixel photo of one of the most beautiful celestial objects astronomers ever observed. This time, Webb used its mid-infrared instrument, MIRI, which was better able to pick up the dust of the region, which NASA says is a major ingredient for star formation. Quote, many stars are actively forming in these dense blue-gray pillars. When knots of gas and dust with sufficient mass form in these regions, they begin to collapse under their own gravitational attraction, slowly heat up, and eventually form new stars, the web team explains. The red region toward the top of the image, which forms a V, is where the space dust is cooler. Towards the bottom of this photo, where the dark gray areas are, is where the space dust is densest and coolest. In the photo, looks uh, if the photo looks unusual because the stars aren't visible, that's because stars don't emit much in the mid-infrared light spectrum. The web team explains the stars are more easily detectable in the ultraviolet, visible, and near-infrared, and in this case, only two types of stars can be easily identified. Quote, the stars at the end of the thick, dusty pillars have recently eroded the material surrounding them. They show up in red because their atmospheres are still shrouded in cloaks of dusk. In contrast, blue tones indicate stars that are older and have shed most of their gas and dust, the web team says. 
The web team states that this this mid-infrared data helps researchers determine how much dust is present and what it is made of, which will allow them to create more precise models of the pillars of creation, therefore helping them more clearly understand how stars form in this region. And it is an absolutely fantastic image of the pillars of creation. And I, I mean, I've never seen a version of the pillars of creation captured in a still photo that just, it's just unbelievable. The colors and the detail are absolutely amazing. I highly, highly encourage you to check out this story in the show notes so that you can see this beautiful image for yourself. Nat Geo's new photos bring King Tut's treasures to life. Just ahead of the 100th anniversary of the discovery of King Tutankhamun's tomb, National Geographic is featuring a gorgeous assortment of interactive photos that provide access to these treasures. The artifacts were captured by photographer Sandro Vanini, while photographer Paolo Verzone shot photos of the soon-to-open Grand Egyptian Museum where the curators are working on the artifacts and the preservation of the mummies and more. Verzone, who is an award-winning photographer that has worked with international media for more than 25 years, tells Petapixel that the whole assignment was like a time-traveling experience. Quote, the museum is a complete visual experience with moving artifacts and a constant dynamic energy. While there, I was able to document the meticulous work of the Egyptian scientists restoring the artifacts from the tomb of Tut. It was science and history in perfect harmony and a 3,000-year loop. Together with the scientific and restoration teams, I had the privilege of documenting the new generation of Egyptian archaeologists at work in the field, he says. The starting point of his reporting was the Grand Egyptian Museum, which then, uh, when finished in 2023 in an area just outside of Cairo, will be hosting more than 5,000 artifacts from the tomb of Tutankhamun. Every archaeological site had its uh, specifics, and I was impressed by the skills of the excavators, workers in each site I visited. I watched their work for hours and had such an admiration for their skill and knowledge, which was unique in the fact that I, it had accumulated for generations. Often their fathers and grandfathers were excavators too, and their knowledge was passed down through each generation. I imagine that under this system, their knowledge dates all the way back to the workers who built the pyramids Verzone continues. Each curator had a vision and a unique uh, attitude, but all of them had something in common, which I could describe with the word sacred. They were approaching each artifact in the most caring and respectful way, and every object or piece was treated like it was carrying the history of all of humankind. And in that sense, they were totally right, he adds. Rizone says that he is used to documenting living people, but knew that in this situation, he would be dealing with the whole uh, with the wholly new subject, mummies. I treat mummies with the deepest respect. I view them as sleeping souls rather than dead bodies, and I wanted viewers to feel their presence and lightness, which is totally different from a dead body. 
They were like bodies in transition between two worlds, and I approached them in that way, he explains. Verzone says that he has read about the discovery of King Tut's tomb from a very young age since his grandfather was an archaeologist. The result is he knew every inch of the tomb and all of the details of its discovery since he was a teenager, but says that having the privilege to witness it in person was an incredible experience. Quote, it was like closing a circle of time, a slow-moving circle that started more than 40 years ago and was completed only this year, in that moment of suspended silence inside the king's tomb. These photos and others are featured in the November issue of National Geographic titled Tut's Treasures. It explains why this discovery is still important 100 years later and gives readers a behind-the-scenes look at the opening of the highly anticipated Grand Egyptian Museum, where nearly all of these treasures will be showcased. The 3D interactive exhibit can be seen on National Geographic's website. And this is a really awesome story. And as you know, I, I've talked about it before on this show. I am a huge history buff, as well as a photographer and IT person. And this would definitely have been such a fascinating project for me to work on. I would have absolutely loved it. So I can definitely relate to the photographers that got to work on this project, how awesome it would have been and how uh, irreverent, what a irreverent uh, situation it would have been. You know, I would have treated it the same way they did, not as dead bodies, but more of souls in between two realms. And this, I can imagine, is going to be one heck of an exhibit when it opens in 2023. And if you get the chance to go and visit, I can definitely recommend this because I can imagine it's going to be a phenomenal exhibit. Underwater photo of hippos wins European Wildlife Photographer of the Year. Russian photographer Mike Korostlev has won 2022's European Wildlife Photographer of the Year competition held by the German Society for Nature Photography, or GDT, for his underwater photography of hippos. Mike is keen on underwater photography, which is typically uh, which he typically captures with wide-angle or fisheye lenses, drones, or camera traps, according to a release from GDT announcing the winners. His winning image, titled Hippo World, was taken using an underwater drone in uh, Salt Lake in South Africa. Quote, in nature photography, he wants to show how fragile nature is and how important it is, therefore, to protect her and not keep animals in captivity, especially not marine mammals, the release continued. In addition to the overall pick, winners were awarded in 10 categories, including birds, mammals, and other animals, plants and fungi, landscapes, the underwater world, man and nature, nature studio, photographers up to 14 years, and another for those 15 to 17 years old in Fritz Polking's prize and junior prize, which look at portfolios and special photo projects. There was also a special uh, rewilding Europe award category. Quote, we had many uh, agreements and disagreements, but our very different photographic backgrounds are what led to the final choices and decisions. Sometimes after having followed a long and winding road, 
said jury member and wildlife photographer Felix Heizenberg. Quote, I am well aware of the fact that judging a competition is not mathematics with defined rights and wrongs, but I feel confident that we have made fair and well-grounded decisions in our search for photographs that not only depict elements of nature, but also include elements of originality, surprise, and emotion. This year's overall winning picture of the hippos by Mike Korletsdiev is a is such a photograph. It conveys something we have never seen before, as well as presence, interaction, and drama. The competition received approximately 18,000 entries from amateur and professional photographers from 35 countries. Mike received 3,000 euros as the overall winner, while the other first and second place finishers got 800 and 500 euros each, respectively. According to the GDT, 34th a uh, million euros overall were awarded to photographers through the competition. There were 104 winning images in total from across the main categories and one special category. Mike's winning photograph, along with the other winning photos, will be featured on a tour of Germany and other parts of Europe beginning in December. All of the winners were announced today, a subset of which can be seen below the full list of top entries available uh, to peruse on the competition's website, which can be found in this article in the show notes for today's episode. And there are some absolutely stunning images in here from this competition. All photos are individually credited and provided courtesy of European Wildlife Photographer of the Year. And with that, I'm going to take a short break and then I'll be right back. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the Liam Photography Podcast. The best way to support the show is to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. If you want to leave comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can call or text the show at area code 470-294-8191. And you can email the show at liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. You can find the show notes and links at liamphotographypodcast.com. And you can tweet the show at liamphotoatl using the hashtag. Hashtag Liam Photo Podcast. And now back to the show. And we're back. And now I'm going to head over to the rumor sites and cover two stories from each site that I was intrigued by for this week and wanted to share. First up, we have Canon rumors, U.S. pricing for the Canon EOS R6 Mark II and the Canon RF 135mm F1.L ISUSM has been leaked ahead of the imminent announcement. In a rare occurrence, U.S. pricing for the Canon EOS R6 Mark II and the RF 135mm lens have leaked ahead of the official announcement. The Canon EOS R6 Mark II will launch at the same price as the R6 at $24.99 U.S. There is also a version of the EOS, Mark VI, uh, EOS R6 Mark II for stop motion animation that will cost an additional $100 with the firmware already installed. The new RF 135mm F1.8L ISUSM will launch in an expected $2,099. Along with the new camera and lens, we're also going to get a new flash, the Speedlight EL5, which will be $399 at launch. Launch prices for the new gear, the EOS 
R6 Mark II body only, $24.99. The Mark, uh, the EOS R6 Mark II with the 24 to 105 F4L ISUSM kit is $35.99. With the 24 to 105 F4 to 71 ISSTM kit is $27.99. To get the body with the stop motion animation firmware is $25.99. The RF 135 millimeter lens will be $2,099 and the speed light will be $399. Now for the specifications on the EOS R6 Mark II, 24 megapixel full frame CMOS sensor, dual pixel raw, raw burst, dual pixel CMOS AF, in-body image stabilization, digital teleconverter, 12 frames per second mechanical hybrid auto, 4K 30p no crop, 4K 60p cropped, Canon Log 3 HDRPQ, Cloud Raw Processing, RF and RFS lens compatibility, SD and SDHC dual card slot, not much change in the form factor over the original R6. So I'm still a little bit on the fence on this. It doesn't seem like, I don't know, it just doesn't seem to me like I, it almost seems like it's too soon for an R6 Mark II, but maybe not. I'm uh, I'm trying to think back because I had both the 6D and the 6D Mark II, and I think those two cameras did come out about two years apart from each other. And it has been about two years since the original R6 came out, so maybe it is time for a refresh. But then the question is, being the R6 came out at the same time as the R5, is there an R5 Mark II on the horizon? I guess we'll have to wait and see. Hot deal. Save 10% off refurbished gear at the Canon USA store. The Canon USA store is having a weekend sale on select refurbished RF mount gear. This would be a great time to buy with the incoming price increases. All refurbished gear from the Canon USA store has a full one-year warranty. You have the Canon RF 24-70 F2.8L ISUSM for $1,943. The Canon RF 50mm F1.2L USM for $1,862. The Canon RF 85mm F1.2L USM for $2,267. The Canon RF 85mm F1.2L USM DS or the D-smoothing model for $2,510. And the Canon RF 100-500-F45-71L ISUSM for $2348. Now, there is a lot of other gear, including EF lenses and binoculars included in the sale. Check out the Canon USA refurbished store at the link in this article in the show notes for yourself. And remember, as I've warned you many times before, if you're on the fence about buying some of this gear, do it quickly because the Canon USA store sells out rapidly when they have refurbished gear, especially the L gear sells very, very fast. Now on over to Nikon rumors. Nikon is rumored to announce or really or announce and release one more lens before the end of the year. Nikon is rumored to announce release one more new lens before the end of 2022. I am still not sure which lens it will be, but the most probable candidate is again the Nikkor. Z 600 millimeter. Do not know yet if it's going to be an F4 or an F4.5. Here's the full list of upcoming Nikon Z lenses based on the latest roadmap from September 20th. 
The Nikkor Z70 to 180 millimeter F2.8. The Nikkor Z35 millimeter S line F1.2. The Nikkor Z135 millimeter S line F1.8. The Nikkor Z12 to 28 millimeter DX lens is now PZ. The Nikkor Z 24 millimeter DX, the Nikkor Z 26 millimeter pancake, the Nikkor Z 12 to 28 millimeter DX, the Nikkor Z 85 millimeter S line, probably an F 1.2, the Nikkor Z 200 to 600 millimeter F 6.3, and the Nikkor Z 600 millimeter S line, which will probably be an F 4. But we'll have to wait and see if one of those lenses will actually get announced and released before the end of this year. Next up, new Nikon instant discount promotion in Europe, up to 500 euros or 450 pounds off. Nikon started a new discount promotion in Europe uh, where you can get up to 500 euros off. See the details at Photocotch, Photo Earnhardt, Calumet, and Amazon DE. A similar offer started also in the UK for up to 450 pounds off at WEX and Park Cameras. In the US, currently over 40 cameras and lenses are on sale at Adorama, Amazon, B&H Photo, Paul's Photo, and Service Photo. And you can check all those out in this article in the show notes for yourself. Fujifilm X-T5 will shoot 6K 30p video. When I told you that the Fujifilm X-T5 will be smaller than the Fujifilm X-T4, some of you understood that this might be the reason why it won't shoot 8K video. Smaller bodies struggle more with the heat management than the bigger bodies do. But others were worried that the Fujifilm X-T5 won't even offer 6K video. So I am glad to report that despite getting smaller, the Fujifilm X-T5 will still be able to shoot 6K video, more precisely 6K 30p. So yes, it's not 8K, but 6K should be a pretty decent format for most video uses anyways. The X-T5 is still a very nice hybrid camera. And let's see, the Fujifilm X-T5 rumors recap. X-T5 announcement expected on November 2nd, shipping in November at some point. 40 megapixel sensor of the X-H2. Not a stacked 26 megapixel version planned. No stacked 26 megapixel version planned. No vertical battery grip option at all. At all. Three-way tilt screen. X-T5 body only to cost $16.99. Movie still switch, no metering mode switch like on the X-T3. The XF 30mm F2.8 macro announcement also on November 2nd. No 8K video. Black and silver version will be available. Old AF joystick design of X-T4. X-T5 will be smaller than the X-T4. Almost perfectly accurate X-T5 mock-ups, confirmation of manual MCS switch and D-pad, dual SD card slots, no CF Express option. X-T5 has IBIS and pixel shift. X-T5 shipping mid-November and will shoot 6K 30P. And all of this is coming to you from Patrick at Fuji Rumors. Thanks, Patrick. Rumor, Fujifilm X-T5 shipping mid-November, announcement on November 2nd. Fujifilm seems to be in a hurry with the Fujifilm X-T5. We told you that Fujifilm will announce the X-T5 and the XF 30mm 2.8 macro on November 2nd. And in fact, it's now official as the Fujifilm X-Summit has been announced. 
That per se surprising as they never launched camera gear in November. But it gets even better. Fujifilm will start shipping the X-T5 already in mid-November, which means just about two weeks after its announcement. I can't remember Fujifilm ever to start shipping gear that fast. So it's definitely going to be an exciting month in November and an exciting end of the year for Fuji X-Shooters. I haven't decided yet if I'm going to get a X-T5 or not, but I think I probably will at some point. I doubt I'll be a pre-order guy, but I'll probably pick one up sometime in 2023. We'll have to wait and see if the wife doesn't kill me. <laughs> New Sony A7R5 videos. And you can pre-order the A7R5 in the U.S. at B&H Photo, Amazon, Adorama, Focus Camera, Beach Camera, and Bydig. In EU at Photocotch, Amazon, EU, Photo Earnhardt, Calumet DE, Wex UK, Park Cameras UK, and in Australia, Camera Pro and Camera House as Sony. And there are two new Sony official videos and new YouTube reviews as well that you can check out in this article in the show notes. And the pre-order of the price for the Sony A7R5 is $3,898. It is expected to start shipping on Tuesday, December 6, 2022. And last up for today, sexy Sony A7R5 shots by Fangio. And the courtesy of Fangio, there are a whole bunch of Sony A7R5 photos here that you can check out in this article in the show notes. Different angles, the view of the camera straight on the front at the angle on the battery or on the hand grip side, a top down view with the camera, the rear screen flipped out. Uh, back of the camera view from the left side with the with the screen flipped out and then the screen totally moved around. Oh, man, this definitely is a nice-looking camera. Uh, some beautiful images of this new body by Sony. And it looks like when you flip the screen out, it actually separates. So it can be just a tilt screen like a lot of cameras have, but then it can also, the then another piece flips out, and it can become a fully articulating screen while the main backplate still stays in the tilt mode. Not sure why they did that. That's interesting. I wonder if there was a specific reason for that. And, and you know, I'm not a Sony shooter, and I don't keep up with their stuff as much. Uh, but it is intriguing. I'm just not sure why they would have went with that particular kind of design. But it is definitely a funky-looking design. I'll give them that, if nothing else. All right, that is the news and rumor stories for this week. Remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group, and you must answer a security question to join, which is the name of the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest on the show to show that you are a listener. Once you're in the group, you are free to post your own original work. I'm also the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request 
request to join that group, but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group. You can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at liamphotoatl. If you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my projects at forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com and forgottenpiecesofpennsylvania.com. All right, that's going to wrap up episode 285 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you might be getting your podcast. Also wanted to remind you to stop by the Liam Photography YouTube channel, subscribe to the channel, watch the videos, comment on them, like them, share them out on social media, hit the little bell icon so you can be notified as new content drops. And I'll let you know now, my first part, uh, my first video on the Arsenal 2 will be out later on today. So I'll be watching for that. I've decided to break up uh, my review into different parts. So the video that's going to come out later on today will be all about the deep color mode on the Arsenal 2 and what my thoughts are on that and how well it works. Uh, versus doing my own post-processing and whether or not I think it would be useful for a beginner photographer or a student photographer. Um, so be sure to watch my channel for that video to, to release later on this afternoon. And then in part two, I will be doing the uh, long exposure stacking to see how that works. And that video will release next week. That'll be part two of the uh, Arsenal uh, Arsenal 2 review. And I may even do one, I'm trying to think, uh, another option that the Arsenal 2 does that I might utilize. Because I don't do time-lapse. Um, I may try to do a time-lapse, lapse, uh, but I don't... See, I hate to do a review on that mode of the Arsenal because I'm not someone that does time-lapse all the time. So I really don't feel that I'm qualified to review its capabilities as a time-lapse device or astrophotography device because I don't do astrophotography either. Um, so I kind of feel doing that would be an injustice to the device. I'm trying to be as fair as possible and not you know not diss the device if it especially for a functionality it has that's for a genre of photography i've never done before uh, but anyways watch for the deep color review that'll be on the channel later on today all right i will see you all again on thursday <laughs>